Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14 is the section I will read from God's word this morning. Let's hear what God says. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Verse 12 is where we will focus this morning, and it comes out of what we looked at last week, is the idea that the night is far gone. In verse 11, we looked last week at knowing the time. We know that now is the days of evil. That now we are in the darkness, we are in the thick of it, but yet, verse 12 tells us, it gives us a hint where we're at. It says, the night is far gone. Like it has been evil so long, far too long already. It has been evil. Now the night is so far gone, the day is about to break. The day's almost here. So then be ready. Wake up. Don't be found sleeping when the daytime is here. Wake up, O oh sleeper. The night is far gone. The days are dark, but not forever and not. Lastingly, it says here in the second half of verse 12, this, this term, so then. So then, the reason you're going to do these things is because the, <clears throat> the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, what does it tell? It says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Things that are vitally important to do. Cast off darkness. Well, if it is daytime, you don't want to be found as a child of darkness. You don't want to be found continuing in your darkness because Scripture says that those who love the darkness, it's because they are wicked and they don't want to be anything else. So then let us cast off works of darkness. Even the old works of our old man, the, the, being a child of darkness, cast them off and put on the armor of light. Because, Why? At the beginning of the verse, it says, the night is far gone, and the day is at hand. 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 Those five words are so packed. Those five words, the day is at hand, have so much in it that we must glean. Because it is so important here, it is the reason why we're to live the way we do. At the beginning of this whole section of Romans, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it gives a reason there to uh, look to to the, the past. And it says, I adjure you, brothers, by the mercies of God. So what God has already done. To then live a life transforming your mind, you know, live a life that is honoring God after the will of God. It gives us a, the past and it says that's your motivation. But now here it's saying the future, 
should also motivate you to live differently. Not just the past, not just the present moment, but the future ought to motivate you to live differently. Because the day is at hand. When you think about the day, the most important and natural question to ask is, well, what day? What day is it speaking of? Is it just any day? Is it a a clump of days? What day is it we speak of? Well, if you read your Bible, it's not always called the day. Often it's called the day of the Lord. Um, That great day. That fearful day. Um, It it often refers to the, not just the second coming of Jesus, but all that is kind of wrapped up in that day. Not just a, a, a rapture per se, but the judgment. That day. It is a singular moment. It's not just as though it's, it's this idea. It is a singular appointed time. In Mark 13, <clears throat> Jesus says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's appointed. It's appointed. God has already determined that day, when it will be. He knows that day, and that day is coming. It is singular appointed time, but what is that day? What is wrapped up in the word day? Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. here's Here's why he appears, it says, not to deal with sin. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Not to deal with sin? I thought that's what he was coming for. No, that's what he already came for. He dealt with sin. And he said it is finished. Sin has been dealt with. He has crushed the head of the serpent already. That's already done by the mercies of God. The mercies of God are are pointing us to the cross of Christ. What he's done there for you. He dealt with sin there at the cross. Once for all, it said. At the very beginning of that verse, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. He doesn't have to come and bear their sins again or deal with their sins again. Those whom are covered by Jesus have already been dealt with. That's a beautiful thing. That was an appointed time. And now there is an appointed time coming, not when he will deal with sin, which is already dealt with. It's already forgiven. It's already looked after. He has has wiped the record of debt that stood against you and me, Colossians says. He dealt with sin in that moment at the cross. But what does it say there in Hebrews? It says, he's coming a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And as we looked last week at the word salvation and this anticipation of salvation to come, we thought, I thought I already had salvation. I thought I already was saved. And here, it's again, even in Hebrews, it's speaking of salvation in a future tense. Like, it's something that's yet to come. What is that? What is it from? Well, when we think about what Joel says about that great day, it begins to put the pieces together. Joel says, for the day of the Lord is great. And very awesome. Who can endure it? It's awesome. As in you will be awestruck at that day. It is great in power and great in might. Who can endure that day? That's what we'll be saved from. 
That's what we'll be saved from. He already dealt with our sin. And those who He's dealt with their sin, well, He's going to save them from that day. The eternal wrath of God. He will save us from that. When the judgment pours out, not, I'm, I'm not holding a position about judgment in the rapture or millennium. It's not what I'm talking about if you're thinking that way. I'm thinking about eternal, eternal. When all is said and done, He will save us from that awesome day. Who can endure that day? Well, Zephaniah talks about the day in a terrifying way. He says, <clears throat> the day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud. The mighty man, like a strong man, he cries aloud. He's weak, he's crushed. He says it's a day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of a trumpet blast and a battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. That's the great day that Joel says, well, who can endure that? Who can, who can stand? Who would anticipate that day? That day is a day of great darkness and fear-inducing for those who don't know if their sin has been dealt with. Has your sin been dealt with? Because if not, then this day, you must think, can I endure it? Or do I know the day if I think I can endure it? Do I, do I not even know what it means? The day is a harvest time, Matthew tells us. Jesus says about the end, he says, Let both go and gather the harvest. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. It's a time of dividing the goats and the sheep, the true people of God and those who claimed it but wasn't real. Those who are false teachers will be judged and cast off forever. In that day, the, the harvest time or the dividing time, Jesus will say, you are mine and you are not. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, who's, who's that day for? If this is a day that is terrifying, a day of wrath, that is that day, Jeff, Zephaniah says, who can endure it, says Joel. Well, who has to endure it? Who has to face that day? When, it thinks, when you think of the judgment day, who has to face it? Is it just those who have not had their sin dealt with? Well, no. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I didn't think there was judgment left. I, I didn't think that I would be judged. I thought I was saved. I thought I was okay. 2 Corinthians says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good <clears throat> or evil. It's interesting that that judgment seat of Christ is about receiving. Receive what is due. Okay. The wages of sin is death. So those who are living in their sin, those who have not let go of their sin, those who are embracing their sin and reject Jesus, the wages, what is due them on that day is death eternal. It's torment. And so at the judgment seat of Christ, each one will receive what is due. Well, the wages of sin is death. That's what they are due. 
So it's theirs. That's what they will receive. But what about... Is that it? Is that everyone? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, no, we know that there is no judgment for those who are in Christ. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because our sin does not remain on our record. We've been justified. We've been cleansed. And and more than just being cleansed and justified and having all of our wrongs erased off of our record before God, He has imputed to us, He's given us or counted to us Jesus' own righteousness. All of his obedience to the law, all of his obeying to the Father at every single step, facing a temptation and saying, no, I care about the glory of God above all things. All of that, all that you see in Jesus is credited to us so that our account is full to overflowing with righteousness. That's not fair. But that, now, when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to receive what we're due, when your account is filled with the righteousness of Christ, what do you do? but a welcome into God's house. A welcome into his kingdom. He says, yes, you are holy as I am holy. You think, not me. You got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm not holy. He says, you're, you're robed in Christ's righteousness. And that's what I see. On that day, when we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to say, well, who are you? You stand here and you represent yourself. Okay, well, the wages do you. Is death eternal? It's yours. Have it. And for you, if you stand before Christ, he says, well, why should I let you in? Why do you think you should get past this judgment day? Why should you be able to endure this judgment day? Why should you not be in complete fear and trembling for all of eternity? Now, all you can plead is Jesus. Don't plead anything else. Don't plead that you went to church, you tried praying, you tried really hard. Don't use the word try. Don't think the word try. When you think about that day, don't talk about, I tried. We have to purge that language from our mouth. When someone says, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Don't mention, I tried or I did. Say, Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Jesus sought me when when a sinner... When I was his enemy, he died in my place. I plead Jesus and Jesus alone. So therefore, at the judgment seat of Christ, on that day, when each one will receive what he's due, we plead Jesus. And that's the thing. So we don't get that opportunity to all of a sudden like change our minds once we've got there. We're like, okay, now I'm at the judgment seat. I better call on that Jesus card that I heard about when I was on earth, right? Too late. Too late. That's why the Bible has so many warnings. So many opportunities presented to you to just have Jesus and Jesus alone. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why, you know, that's why God designed the Great Commission. is so that everyone would, would he, should hear, your neighbors should not get to the end and go, what, I didn't know I needed Jesus. I didn't know there was another way. I just tried doing good things. I tried really hard. They shouldn't need to say that. They should need to say, I rejected Jesus. My neighbor told me and I rejected him. God's designed the Great Commission for you and me to go and to share the good news, the gospel with someone else. That on that day, that great day which is so near and it's here, it's at hand, that on that day they might stand confident only because they stand in Christ. When we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, where will we stand? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
So awake. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, verse 11 said. We first believed and, and each day, each ache, each pain, each death, each funeral is a reminder that that day is at hand. It is one moment closer where that day will be realized, where that day will be true, whether it's we die before Jesus comes back or we are caught up by Him. That day is at hand. Are we aware of it? The day is a gloomy day for some, but a glorious day for others. But even for those who it's glorious, it is a grievous day. It's a day where we realize all that had to take place for us to even have a standing before God. For us to even have a, a, a place in His kingdom. What took place? Well, my sin was counted to Jesus. My filth put on Him. He came, He lived in my place. Died in my place. So that I might stand in His. It's amazing. So it's a, it's a grievous day to think. I get there and God says, Well done. Welcome. Come on in. That's not fair. I don't deserve that to my neighbor. There's lots of really good people who won't get that. And I'm not that. So it's a grievous day. As you think about that day, you think, that is so glorious. But man, I'm heartbroken over it because I don't deserve that. I'm so unworthy of that day. That day is so beautiful. As it said in um, Joel, it is very awesome. Awesome for both sides. Awe-struck. Those unbelievers and the believers will be left speechless at that day. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, it, it talks further about, you know, because in 2 Corinthians 5 it says, Will people put the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil? Well, as we learned, Christ's righteousness is credited to us as goodness. Well, 1 Corinthians 3 says, it gives this picture, and, and it even refers kind of to Jesus talking about the wise man who built his house on the rock, right? They all built houses, but the one had a solid foundation. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood and hay and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, right there, if you don't go any further, and you don't know much about the certainty of Christ, then you go, okay, it seems to me that if I don't do good works, I'm going to be consumed. That if my works don't measure up on that day and they're consumed because they were just like straw and hay, then I'm done for. Because it says, if the work that one has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. But listen to the next verse very carefully. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer a loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The foundation doesn't change. The house might be burnt up, but the rock's still there. So get that. Yes, you and I, as means of gratitude to God, we do work. We do what we should. We think we help the poor. We care for the widows. We care for the orphans. We do these things with proper heart motivation. We're supposed to be generous with joy. We're supposed to rejoice in all things. All these things that we're 
called to do as believers in Christ, not so that we can earn a place with God, but so that we might give gratitude to God, say, uh, you're holy, I'm not. I want to be like you. I don't reflect you. So I'm going to do these things. I, I want to do these because I think they'll please you, and I think they'll bring you glory in the world through others. And so we do all of these things, and on that day it says, fire's going to come. And it's going to test that house. It's going to test all of the little pieces that you took to build that house, your Christian life. And it's going to blast it with fire. And things that are done with wrong motivation will be burnt up. If you served on a mission trip because you thought it would be cool to go to Jamaica, it's going to be burnt up. If you helped a widow because it made you feel good rather than for the glory of God, it's going to be burnt up. If you gave so that you might feel like, oh, I've finally got that off my chest, it's going to be burnt up. And that's it. Nothing might stand in the end, but there's a foundation. So it says in the end, if anyone's work is burned up, though he suffers loss, he himself will be saved. So the salvation where you will spend eternity is not in the balance for a Christian. That's certain and secure because that's in Jesus. Everything you build on top of Jesus in your life will be what will be tried under that day. They'll be tried by fire. So those who have built with a proper motivation for the glory of God, for the love of other people, for the love of God, those things will stand, it says, and he will receive a reward. On that day, we want to have our houses standing for God's glory and out of our gratitude. That'll happen on this day. It's a day of judgment, a day of testing, a day of, uh, of dividing the true from the false, the, the, um, the good from the wicked. That day is at hand. It is. It's not that day might be at hand, or that day one day might come. We're not really sure how certain it is. No, that day is at hand. It is certain. Ephesus, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 said, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It is, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a guarantee, a seal that that day is certain. It's not like a possibility. It is sealed by God that that day will come. And in Ephesians, it's called a day of redemption. The fact that the day is coming is the dominant hope in the New Testament. The day is coming. That's the dominant hope for the believers in the New Testament. That's the dominant hope for the early church. That's the dominant hope through all of church history. That day is coming. It's day. It's light. It's life. That day when we will get to see Him face to face, when all should be well for us. It's not just a day when the tears will be gone and the pain's gone. That's not just the day we anticipate. But we anticipate the day where we'll be like Him. For we will see him as he is. First John chapter 3 says that. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And that produces hope because it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So knowing that that day is certain leads to a certain type of living, a purifying in our hope. True Christianity trains us to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, 
We live sober, upright, godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope. That is, the hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a blessed hope. And as much as hope that it brings to believers, it should bring equal despair for unbelievers and for us as we think about our unbelieving loved ones and families. We have as much hope as we have for that day. We should have as much, if not more, despair for those who will not experience that day in a glorious way. That day is certain. It's an appointed time that will come. It is at hand. There's not one person that you know who is ignorant that a day is coming. Everyone knows they will die. So they know it. Are they living differently because of it? Likely not. Some people do. I only have this life. I better enjoy it. A day is coming when I won't get to enjoy it anymore. So they're just going to live life to the full. You only live once. All that kind of living. So even them, they're thinking, there is a day coming and this, is, this party is about to end. Well, are we thinking that for them? The question is, when that day does come, by death or Christ's return, what comes next? What comes next for them? And what will that hold for each person individually? Every believer agrees that his return is certain, though we may have differing opinions about the details of that day. But the day is at hand. That's what we know. It's, it's at hand. It is imminent. Scripture is unashamed about the, the urgency of that day. It is never like, oh, you know what? Read the Bible, you're going to get a sense that you've got lots of time to burn. You're never going to get that sense. If you're in the Bible and the Holy Spirit's working with you here, you're always going to get the sense that I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to live for God's glory. I don't have enough time to evangelize my friends and family. I better get on this. The Bible gives us a sense of urgency because the day is at hand. It changes the way we live. If, you, if you're living in a wartime lifestyle, you think, if, if war is here, you think, I could die tomorrow. A bomb could drop on my house. You're going to live a lot differently. If you know that the day is at hand, you're going to live differently. You're going to do what Scripture says. I love Hebrews 10.25. There's great logic in this verse. It says, not neglecting to meet together, like meet with other Christians, because that's the habit of some. He says, but meet together, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because when you meet together, they're supposed to encourage you and equip you and challenge you in your faith and grow you to be more like Jesus and make you want to glorify God all the more and spread His word all the more. So it says, don't neglect to meet together. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, it's coming, it's coming soon. Is it changing you? The day is at hand. That sense that the Bible gives us is a, a continual sense of suspense. Just suspense. When is it coming? When is it coming? There's this suspense, a, a place of anticipation. The Bible leaves us there. It's at hand. Okay, but when? People want to know when. People have been asking since the beginning, when is it coming? Try to build some calculators, try to do some math, try to like take one word from this verse and one word from that verse and say, it's next year. Drink the purple juice, right? People forever have been trying to anticipate the day. When is it coming? But the Bible just gives us suspense. It's at hand. 
Okay? So just be ready. It's a place of anticipation and expectation. I am expecting great things, and they're coming, and they're, they're right there. So does it change the way I live? It's a consuming thought. When something is at hand, it consumes you. I love wedding rehearsals. The night before the wedding, I don't know if you all did wedding rehearsals back in your day, but that's the thing we do now, and I think it's good. The night before the wedding, they go through like a dry run of what the wedding's going to be like. So everybody knows their place, and everybody's getting ready. And every, but what it does is it builds. It just continues. Like there's already expectation and anticipation leading up to the wedding day, right? That week is like nerve-wracking for bride and groom, but the rehearsal comes, and the nerves are through the roof because this is like the real thing. It's like it, and it's so close. It's at hand, and it's not quite yet. So there's just this, this real sense of like excitement, anticipation, expectation, it changes. The, like, they're just consumed. Like, after wedding rehearsal, the wedding rehearsal, you try asking the bride or groom about, you know, hey, tell me about that time in high school. Don't talk to me about high school. Don't talk to me about whatever. I got a wedding happening here, right? They're consumed by it because they know it's at hand. Like, it's tomorrow. There's this anticipation of something so sure and certain. Bride and groom up all night, can't shut off their mind. They can't stop thinking about the wedding day. It's tomorrow. The day is at hand, and it changes everything about them. This is eager anticipation and expectation just consumes them. That's what the Bible is supposed to do when it says, the day of the Lord is at hand. Is that tomorrow? Where's your anticipation? Where's your excitement? Where's your expectation? What are you expecting of that day? And are you rehearsing for it? Are you rehearsing? Are you doing a dry run? If that day is all about the glory of God and singing His praises, are you in that dry run right now? Are you doing what you do day in and day out, practicing what will come? Singing the songs of Moses. I love that in Revelation where it says, well, sing the songs of Moses. And it's like, what does that even mean? Just singing the songs about what God has done, celebrating all that He has done. Like, are you doing that now? Are you living in the rehearsal stage? Knowing that it is at hand and that's going to change the way you live. You know how the Bible describes you if you are in Christ? Here's bride. Here's bride. Almost. You're kind of in the fiancé stage right now. One day, you will get to have that wedding feast. And that day is soon. That day is at hand. It is an appointed time. So scripture encourages us, be ready, be awake, be prepared for that. It is judgment and salvation and destination. That's the day. So then what will your hope be for that day? What will change the way you hope today? What will change the way you handle other people today? That day is certain. Take this day above all others as priority. Anticipate that day and make it priority in your thoughts, in your mind. Let it be all-consuming that the day is at hand. Because if it is, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you spend your conversations. It's going to change the way you think about how I spend family time, how I spend time in the car, how I spend time doing dishes. It's going to change everything. If you think the day is at hand, am I ready? Am I anticipating it? It is certain. So then you make it a priority. And that day is Imminent. Expect it. And live like it. Revelation twenty two twenty says, 
Jesus, who testifies these things, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, you are amazing. And, and to know that we will, if in Christ, we will get to spend all of eternity with you, near to you, singing to you, in your presence, that, that there will be no sin that hinders us, no wrong desire that hinders us from pouring out our whole selves for you. Oh God, what a glorious day. We thank you that this day is at hand. We pray that that truth would transform the way we live in this moment, the way we have conversations even today, the way we talk to others this week, the way we spend our money and our time. God, we want it to all be used in light of what's to come. Help us, God, to live in this rehearsal stage just with eager anticipation, expectation, and reflecting what is true of that day, that we will be like you, for we will see you as you are. God, we want to celebrate. We want to praise because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name, amen.